Thanks very much, everybody. Welcome back to Conrad's Corner, Episode 7. Really excited. This one's been a long time in the works, and I'm really happy to finally put this on film. Thank you, everybody, for joining. And today, we're joined by Rebecca Mountain. I've known Rebecca for an awfully long time. Let's just get it out of the way. How long have we actually known each other? I think it's 30. Oh, that's a long time. We, we won't. We won't, we won't, don't finish that, don't finish that number. A long time since, long time. Uh, since grade school. So but we look great, we look great, we're aging well. Oh, you're very kind, thank you. As much for me, as much for you. Yeah, all right. Uh, you are here, you have a ton of stuff you can tell us. Let's start, as they say, let's start at the beginning. Mm. Tell us a little bit about the beginning, then we'll jump into the middle, and then we'll talk about where you are now, which is a phenomenal story, but tell us about the beginning. All right, well, um, in the beginning, well, not the very beginning, the beginning, beginning of my life was normal, right? Until I was eight years old, and then my parents joined a cult. So um, I, I call it my normal years and then going dark. So, yeah. um, and it was a kind of fundamentalist group where there was a ton of rules. So no TV, no movies, no music, no pants, so skirts down to your ankles, hair down to your waist, no cutting it, no jewelry, no makeup, no parties, no proms, no sleepovers. I don't know. Think of anything else fun, and there's probably a no in there somewhere. Um, yeah. And, and, and I mean, I'll just say this. You're not exaggerating. Like, when I knew you in school, it was literally, you know, little house on the prairie look, or like skirts, the hair. No, all you, all you did was play piano. That's all you did. Yes. You weren't, no TV. We'd be like, what do you mean there's no TV? There's no TV. There's no TV. We, won't, we were not allowed TV. No. And, uh, yeah, that, that dystopian show that's come out recently, what's it called? Handmaid's Tale. Oh, yeah, I can't watch that one. Yeah, no, but honestly, <laughs> yeah, my wife was watching that, and I said, oh, you're watching a show about Rebecca's life. <laughs> oh, Rebecca like, literally. Yeah. So you're not joking. This was yeah. literally your life, and you would tell us about it, and we'd think it was, it was just bananas, but this was your life. Yeah, that's how I lived, um, and I married into it. I had children, um, but in my early 30s, I started to really start questioning, like, something was wrong. It was just wrong on so many different levels, but they terrify you about leaving. They tell you, if you're going to even think about leaving, there's two ways you're going to die, cancer or a car crash. Oh, pleasant. Uh, yes, it's true, but they make you believe it, and they tell you all these stories, which are true, mm. um, but, you know, it's so, so you have a lot of fear, and because I had all the no's in my life, I had no friends outside, yeah. but I didn't fit inside the church because I worked full-time, and that was a big no-no, oh. big no-no. I was told not only was I going to hell, but my kids were going to hell because I worked, and I was letting other people raise my children, but my, he's now my ex, but my husband at the time, like, we didn't have enough money, yeah. like, one person to survive, and so it, was, it became more and more crushing, and so I was thinking about leaving, um, and the opening chapter of my book here, The Dragon and the Goat, talks about the day that I rolled my car. So you, you and I both live in Burlington, mm -hmm. um, and I was late for a meeting at 6.30 in the morning, and um, it was March 17, 2008, and I was rocketing down Appleby, which is a four-lane road, yep. at about 100 kilometers an hour, and it's a 60. Okay, um, okay. Yep, so I was, I was hoping. <laughs> anyway, so I, I get on the ramp, mercifully heading towards Hamilton instead of Toronto, because the Toronto bound has much more traffic, um, and I didn't see the black ice. Oh. So my car spun around, so I'm going in. I hit the gravel, my car spins, I'm now facing the wrong way, and I'm like, okay, you know, um, let go of the wheel, let go of the gas, the car is going to right itself, but it didn't. It went mm. over the edge, and the embankment's probably about 30, 40 feet. I hit at an angle, my tires explode, I go crashing onto my roof, and I'm skidding across this highway, 
probably still going about 50 kilometers an hour because I entered the ramp about 70, and I'm trying to hold my face off of the pavement, but the car is flat. So I'm crushed up against the steering wheel, holding it like this, trying to keep my face from the, the, the pavement. And when I finally stopped spinning, while you're While you're upside down, while I'm upside the glass down. is smashed, the tires are blown. Yeah. You're trying to keep your face off the pavement. Right, but I can't, I can't nice. pull okay. away from it because the roof has now crushed oh me against the steering oh wheel. Oh my gosh. So when I, you know, when I finally stopped spinning, you know, most people's first thought is I'm alive. And that is just awesome. But that was my first thought, granted. But then my second thought was they're wrong. Oh. Because remember, the two ways you're yeah. going to die, yeah, if yeah. you even think about leaving, is cancer or car crash. Interesting. And so I'm just like, well, hang on a second. So I get out you know, my new skylight, which was the passenger door, um, <laughs> jump down. I'm making no eye contact because now I've, like, I've just, there's stuff everywhere. Yeah. Um, and so everyone's crawling along the shoulder, and I'm like, do, 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 rector day. Yeah. Um, and I'm shaking the glass out of my hair going, but what else are they wrong about? And then just huh. everything starts to unravel. So a little so. bit of an epiphany in that moment. Yeah, it was epiphany. And then that was March. By August, I'd stopped going to uh, the church. By October, I was separated. By December, I was divorced. By January, I was unemployed because the people that I was working for were part of the church and they didn't exactly take my side. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's probably the way they keep you trapped also is that they everything do. is integrated. You're yeah. part and parcel, church and state, yeah. everything's all together. Mm -hmm. So you decide to walk out and leave and then you're presumably ostracized? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, first they try to win you back. Okay. And so my whole thing was, and I never like, even though this, I left this, I have nothing against God or spirituality or anything like that. Um, and I never want someone to feel like they're defending themselves to me. So I just refuse the conversations. Mm. I'm like, I don't want you to have to defend yourself against me. I don't believe what you believe. Right. And so I want you to have comfort in what you believe and leave me to mine. See you, bye. Yeah. Right, so, um, but yeah, but I have no friends. Um, I didn't really have a lot of family support at the time. It wasn't a terribly popular thing to do and I didn't know how to operate in the real world. I didn't know how to order cable TV. I didn't know yeah. how to get a mortgage. I didn't know, I don't know. It's like if you've <laughs> ever seen the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt where she comes out from the bunker and she's like, everything is like a giant social experiment. Right. Like reality TV. Never seen it. That's Sex crazy. in the city. And I'm like, people watch this? Wow. Right? Like it was just. And just for context, I mean, when we talk about this, we're not talking about the 1800s, the early 1900s. For you, give or take, this would have been early 2000s. 2008. Yeah. That was 2008. And so imagine shutting off your life in 1988. Right. Going absolutely dark and then just turning on all the lights at 2008. And all the changes that happened in, in between. Yeah. So it was it was a wild ride. It was a hard, hard time for me. Yeah. Um, so I'd already been through five jobs. I was unemployed, got another one, <laughs> got fired from that one a year later. I got, kept getting fired. I was a terrible employee. Um, and so I just decided, okay, like I got to work for myself because the common denominator here is <laughs> me. I can't blame anybody else anymore. You can't fire yourself. No, I can't. So I'm like, <laughs> what are you going to do? So I, you know, tried social media. Yeah. Um, it was 2010 by then. So it was still okay. kind of blue ocean. Um, and I just built various different companies over the years. I am um, curious though, before you jump into that, yeah. let's not gloss over it. Let, uh -oh. <laughs> not that we're going to get into deep therapy here, but you kept getting fired from five different jobs and yeah. the common denominator. Looking back in retrospect, I am curious, any insight on what kept happening, why you kept, was it just, yes. you didn't understand, you didn't know what was going on, it was push and pull, there was tension, uh, you wanted more, like what was, the, what was the common theme in terms of why you couldn't keep a job? I didn't fight, figure it out until a year and a half ago, Okay. what the problem was. I'm autistic. Oh. 
There you go. So there you go. And I don't read people, and I don't understand politics. So most people, when you come into any kind of corporate environment, there's a politicking you've got to kind of mm -hmm. figure out. There's a game afoot. People you need to please. Things you probably shouldn't say when you know, you're in a board meeting that I would definitely say. Right. Um, and then not understand why everyone freaked out and then fired me. Um, you know, or I couldn't do certain types of jobs, but I couldn't communicate what it was about the job that was so difficult for me. And so I just kept moving, 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 whether of my own accord or because someone shoved me out the door. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know a lot about it, but presumably knowing you the way I do, I mean, you're a high functioning autistic person. Yeah. I'm just wired differently. So imagine neurotypicals, which yeah. they call like people not on the spectrum, which I'm kind of guessing that almost everybody's somewhere on the spectrum. It's more like a globe. Anyway, but they see the world like this. I see the world like that. A little bit askew. Yeah, it's just, okay. it's just a slightly different perspective. So you could explain something to me until the cows come home, and I'm like, nope, mm. not getting it. And there's certain things I'm exceptionally good at, and there's certain things I'm exceptionally bad at. Like attention to detail, God help me, they don't ever give me something right. like that. But detecting patterns, so as a, a performance coach now, um, I listen to what people are saying, and then I listen to what they're not saying, and I read voraciously still, because what else do you do when you don't have a TV? Get yep. used to reading. Yep. Um, but now I read books to then pull in all the different methodologies. And so because my brain also is ADD brain, yeah. it has like 180 screens and they're all on and they're all playing, right? I just, I can focus in on which one I need to pull from. And then I create these really cool strategies to deliver to my clients. So I just, I learned my brain's wiring. So every autistic person is a different autistic person. I'm yep. like, my autism is different from my son's autism, right? right. So he struggles in a different way. Um, but it really explains why I never really had a lot of friends. I thought that was just because I grew up in a cult and I wasn't allowed. <laughs> uh, turns out I'm just not very good at it. Yeah. Right? Um, it's interesting I, you hear that though, because knowing you the way I do and so high functioning, having difficulty in the workplace environment, the politics you don't really understand, not probably um, bonding well with some of your coworkers. But I mean, you may, to say you don't have a filter is probably an understatement, <laughs> you really don't. But nope. uh, you're not malicious, so you just no. probably say what everybody in the room is thinking. Yes. And that's not always the right way to not do kosher. things. No. Like someone, my last job that I ever had, um, the one who was hiring me is like, if you think I'm, you know, I'll use a nice word because we're on camera. If you yeah. think I'm a jerk, yes. you're going to call me a jerk. And I'm like, his name was Mark. And I'm like, like, I will. And he's like, no, that's what we want. You know, hard hitting. So one day I called him a jerk and he got so mad. And I'm like, what? You said I could call it. Never mind. Anyway, yeah. see, it's, it's a misread, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. um, yeah. So what I've, what I've been able to figure out is on the friendship front, I have to go about it a little bit differently, but I also have to um, work on some programming because part of belonging to this cult is a lot of shame, a lot of judgment, a mm. lot of rejection, um, a lot of public shaming, a lot of people talking about you because it's a very small community, so there's a lot of this going on. Right. Um, so I have to deprogram that from myself so that I'm not constantly worried, like, is someone talking about me? Do I have, you know, are they perceiving me in this way? Have I pissed somebody off? You know, um, I used to say that I, I walk through the world on a path full of little trip wires, and at the end of every trip wire is a grand piano that's going to crush me. Okay. And I'm not entirely sure when I'm going to hit one of those mm. trip wires because I just don't see it coming because in my little autistic world, I'm assuming, bad assumption, um, that if no one says anything, everything's fine. Right. Not a good assumption. 
uh, well, a tough it's, one to go on. Well, it's not, but it's also not the, the worst way to live life either because, yeah. uh, you know... It, it can, should be a good assumption yeah, to make. Like, exactly. if you've got an issue with me, you would come and you would say so. That's how I roll. I don't play games, um, you know, and I uh, unfortunately expected most of the world to, to do that. So part of what I've learned in my reprogramming has gone into the book, into my yeah. practice, into my clients, because a lot of what, struggle, what makes us struggle... Um, are things like that. Like, you know, you and I have a conversation, we end it, and I'm like, oh, my God, did I piss Damon off? Mm. Like, is he upset with me? He said thanks, but he said it really fast, and he said it and blah, 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 and I've got this whole story. Meanwhile, you're like, tacos or a burrito? What do I want for lunch, right? <laughs> so we misconstrue it. So a lot of Definitely. Stuff, that yeah. reminds me of that meme that goes around. We've all seen the meme, the husband and the wife sitting yes. in bed, yes. and the wife's like, I wonder if he's thinking about other girls, and he's like, did Matthew score three goals or four goals tonight? I don't know. So... <laughs> I feel like that happens a lot at times. Yes, it does. And uh, while well, the whole like woman-man thing happens a lot more, yeah, we all do it. Sort of, it's it's our human nature. It's how we're wired. So a lot of the work I do now um, helps me recondition myself, reprogram myself. But then because I see what happened to me, and I've kind of taken a step back, and I'm observing myself, I'm able to now see the same patterns in everybody else. Right. right. So. You know, someone comes to me and says, um, you know, I make $2 million in commission. Yep. And I'm like, wow, like, damn, girl, that's good. And she's like, I want to make four. And I'm like, damn. And I'm like, well, then we got to figure out what the block is between here, two, and four. Right. Yep. But I have the same thing with people who are like 50. Yeah. And they're like, I just want to be able to not worry about putting something back on the grocery shelf. Oh, wow. It's the same thing, right? Okay, well, let's pull apart yep. what's causing you to hold yourself back. And it's it's always one thing or another. Um, and it's my life's work to help people to overcome that and to see their greatness. Because a lot of us also depend on, especially in real estate, mm -hmm. um, I had a conversation with a guy today. He just wants to hit a certain award level. And then he's successful. Okay. That's a terrible way of going through life. Yeah. I had a guy who missed, it was, it was a $20 million mark, and I think he had 19960000 Yeah. And he felt like a failure. He's not successful. No. No. And I'm just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, what inner compass are you using? And yeah. it's broken, right? Yeah, we so, got to reevaluate our priorities there a little well, bit. that's just it. And so, you know, but to create our own priorities and to trust our own priorities, because um, now the whole reason I wrote this book was I wanted to know why people wouldn't do the work they were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Why do they stall? You know, because I'm a coach, and I don't know how many times on my calls they come back and they're like, well, I didn't do my homework, and I'm like, well, you're burning 500 bucks, but sure, like, whatever you want to do. Um, but I, I don't want people to do that, right? Some coaches don't care. Yeah. They're like, I got your money, yeah. so you want to, you know, fail out, you know, knock yourself out. I don't want to do that. I want to figure out why it is, and so... Um, yeah, no. you definitely take it personally. I do. Yes. But I think that makes me a better coach. Definitely. Right? To, to take things personally. If someone invests in me, it's, it's, it's like it's my money. But even before the coaching, and back to your point about always helping people, this has been a, a long-standing theme for you. After mm -hmm. you got out of working for other people and you went on your own, you, you touched on it briefly, you started helping on the social media front. I mm -hmm. And I remember that. I mean, you were helping with uh, social media at Treb, so real yep. estate courses with a bunch of the boards brokerages, uh, my former life, helping me with my uh, sports entertainment company. Yeah, that's right. Uh, how did you make that choice into Transition. social media? Yeah. Mm. So, <laughs> the choice to social media. Um, I was broke. Oh. And I didn't have a job. 
and I went to a couple of small companies with some lame marketing thing, um, and they're like, "What?" And I'm like, "I don't know. What do you need? What are you What are you struggling with right now?" They're like, well, "What do you know about social media?" And I'm like, "Nothing. Why? Is it hard?" And they're like, "Well, we can't quite figure it out." And I'm like, "Oh, really?" And I'm like, "Yeah. They, can you figure it out?" Yeah. Sure. So I did. I went and I got certified, yeah. which is still a joke, but even a bigger joke in 2010, because yeah. it was like, be in a room, have Pulse, get certified. Perfect. Um, it was great. I don't like tests. Anyway, so I was like, woo, no tests. Um, so I got certified, and then I just taught myself. And um, <laughs> when, you're, when you're just getting out and you have two small boys, now this is right after I blew everything sideways in my life, so I'm still struggling with everything. Um, you just, you do anything to, to feed mm -hmm. your children, absolutely mm -hmm. anything in the world. And so all I needed to know was more than the people I was training. So I launched my business, never having used Facebook before, teaching people how to use Facebook. <laughs> so while I was teaching them at the beginning, so I was just like here in my learning. This, this and they is were really here. the epitome of fake it oh, till you make it, oh, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, but, I, but I knew enough. I knew enough, right? Okay. So I was just like, as they would get better, I would get better. <laughs> so I just had to stay ahead of them. And eventually I became an expert. And right. you know, over the years, it wasn't quite so terrifying. Um, but yeah, so I started off consulting. Then I went into coaching. And then I didn't like that, so I created an agency because mm -hmm. my clients wouldn't do the work I wanted them to do. It's just too difficult, not in their wheelhouse. So I created my marketing agency, and I ran that for about seven, eight years yep. um, until, honestly, I just ran myself into the ground. I was sitting on the couch with my what I call my upgrade husband, Mark. Um, great upgrade. Great guy. Uh, yeah, great guy. <laughs> it's a good upgrade. <laughs> you know, in my beautiful house with my, my two kids, and now I have two stepkids and a beautiful car and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm miserable. Mm. I was working 90-hour weeks. Yeah. Um, it was now a red ocean. So by then it was 2018. And everyone and their grandmother was a social media expert. Um, and so I just wasn't liking it anymore. I was good at it. And I right. did good work. But there was no heart in it. And so I just was just starting to go through my reprogramming process. right? Because I just dragged my past with me. And I didn't really do anything with it. You didn't really nope. address, didn't address it, it, didn't deal go to with therapy, it. Yeah. Probably should have gone to therapy, didn't go to therapy. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm just like, okay, what do I want to do? And I wanted to get out of just being marketing because I saw there was a big need for people's business. But I'm like, how do you do that? And I just started doing research, found a certification for high performance coaching. So I thought, sounds cool. Um, went and got certified, came out of it, and I'm just like, this. This is my calling. This is what I want to do. Yeah. So there's, it's a basis on science. So I like it's not just like someone's yep. great idea or series of ideas they put together. Well, that's the argument a little bit with social media, right? That, yeah. yes, there's some algorithms and there's some smoke and mirrors that happens, but it's a lot of hokey pokey. Oh, and, it is. Yeah. And it's a lot of BS, yep. right? And I would often protect my clients, um, like in, in my, my clients now, because they're like, I need to hire a social media company. And I'm like, and I'll be on the phone because I know smoke and mirrors. I'm yeah, like, yeah, you are yeah, yeah. blowing sunshine, and then we are not going to do that, yeah. right? See how nice and PG I'm being? Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so uh, I, I merged over into um, coaching, and yep. COVID was very helpful because the first people that someone fires when the economy tanks is your marketing group. So I was already starting to wind it down through 2019 and into 2020, COVID just sealed the deal. All of my clients just left through attrition. Yeah. I made sure everyone on my team found a new home. Sure. Um, so nobody went without nobody. Like I stopped get I stopped paying myself. 
um, so I could pay my team for probably about six months. Wow. Um, I just, it was the right thing to do. They needed it um, more than I did. Mark was able to kind of carry I us. I love how you say that, like so nonchalantly, like, oh, you know, it was the right thing to do, in, presuming that everybody does that. <laughs> because the majority of the people in business, in corporate business these yeah. days, respectfully, most people don't do the right thing to do. They do the easiest thing to do. I know. But I couldn't do that. Good for you. That was, um, just, it wasn't in my heart and it wasn't in my training, right? right. And so... Um, formally stopped the agency September of 2020, and I've just been doing this full-time in various different methodologies, but it's all about taking like what you're doing and making you the happiest version of yourself. So, Because happy people do hard work. So a lot of realtors um, are like, oh, you know, I have to make cold calls, but I want to throw up every time I do. And I'm like, what if you don't make cold calls? What if you build your business a different way, right? There's a thousand different things you can do because it's right. all about the conversation. Yep. So where do you like to talk to people? I've helped people build their business by going to a dog park because they won't stop talking at the dog park. And dog people, apparently, I'm not one, sorry. Oh, yeah. um, cat people were just more suspicious of everyone. Yeah. Um, so dog people, however, like blah, blah, blah. Oh, oh I talk to everybody lucky. at the dog park. I know. And it becomes a little community. It does. Yeah. And how do you build a real estate business? Talk to people. Building a community. Build a talking community. Talking to people and yeah. getting them to know you. Repetition. So there, there's a lot of different ways that people, they close off for themselves because it's not commonly done. Right. And I just, with my brain, I'm like, let's do the uncommon thing because that's it's way more fun. Yeah. Right? So the client I have now who legitimately wants to go from two to four million. Okay. But not work past six o'clock. Hmm. Only five days a week. And absolutely unequivocally, it can be done. Great goal. Mm -hmm. That's a great goal. Yeah. So before we get into the book, yes. you made the transition. I did. You went from social media to high-performance coaching. Mm -hmm. And then from there, what was your focus? I know you work a lot in the real estate field. Was that, was that a, a target of yours, to work with real estate agents? Or it did just, it just happen naturally? It just happened naturally. I've been working with the real estate industry for over a decade. Yeah. Um, it's how it was well-known. Although people still call me and ask me about social media, and I'm like... Girl, I haven't done that for four years, right? right. But people, I have a name, right? Yeah. And so that name has carried me. Um, you know, I've had to help people make the switch. So yeah, I primarily do real estate, but I also have a guy who runs a karate um, academy down in Florida. So he wants to 10x the size of that, and we're working through that. So that's lots of fun. I have financial advisors, yep. um, people who work in the MLM industry. Yep. It doesn't really matter, like, what you do. I got a call recently from someone who wants me to talk to her 16-year-old son. Wow. He's lost. He doesn't wow. know what to do. And she's like, can you help him? He's lost his spark. So you're helping people find their passion, find their spark, yeah. or is it is that part of it? Is it mostly it? Or is it, uh, you know, high-performance people that just want to hit financial goals? Or is it all of the above? It, it has to be all of the above. Because to hit the financial goals, you have to be a happy person. Right. So if you're an unhappy person, you will hit, like, ceiling after ceiling after ceiling, mm. and you will get so frustrated um, and a lot of that happiness is rooted in self-worth, right? So if you take all your value from a real estate award, it's yeah. not that they're bad, but if that's like the point, then you are doomed to never quite get to the next one. It's going to be really difficult. It's going to take a lot of work and you're not going to enjoy the journey so that when you get there, there's really no, there's no celebration. You're just like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Um, and so a, a lot of what I do is financial. Yep. Um, a lot of what I do but the financial comes because we've done something over here. So one of the things I have is it's what I've called the goat path, which just amuses me to no end. Goat being, of course, greatest of all time. Okay. And the goat path 
starts actually, it's a, it's a left to right kind of a thing. So you start with the reality that you have, or I guess right to left. Um, so, oh, so are we, are we, we reverse are, engineering? We're know. going backwards? Or? <laughs> I don't know how they're like, from yeah, my right to my left, this is how we're going to do it. Okay. It's usually a left to right, but yep. mine actually works backwards. So at the far end, you've got your reality. So most people come to me because their reality, not what they want, right? right? They're miserable, they're not too sure why, or they have an idea, and they just want someone to tell them, right? Um, because then they have to take ownership, which happens a lot. Um, so, but if your reality isn't really great, what's the natural thing? Well, people work their butts off, right? So hustle, grind, work 90 hours a week. Yeah. But that just drives them into the ground, and their reality doesn't change. Mm. So what's actually driving our actions is what we believe, our belief system, right? And the belief system... Um, is the lens through which we see the world. So if I see the world like I used to see the world, which was, I'm not good enough, I'm never going to make it, um, Damon's doing so much better than me, um, you know, Frank over there is just killing it, and I'm never going to be able to, to keep up, all I'm going to see in the world is proof that this is true. Wow. So if I want to go into a meeting with a group of people, and I'm intent on finding displeasure, disapproval, or whatever, I You're will find, find it. it. You're going to find it. If, however, I go into the same meeting and I'm like, I'm going to learn something from this group of people, then I will go in and find something to learn. So your entire worldview changes when your belief system becomes one that is more filled on self-worth, um, more optimistic, more positive, more high-performing. So then the question is like, well, you know, I can't just like wave a wand and go, believe in yourself. Hurrah! <laughs> Who's that? You're done, right? Yeah. You're like, how does that work? Um, so if you go down, you know, there's two more uh, stations that I call them in, in this path. The one right before the belief system is your thoughts. Okay. So thoughts thought often enough become what you believe. So if I continually tell myself, I'm never going to make it. Yeah. Damon doesn't like me. Yeah. Um, you know, my business is going to tank. The world is going to go under. I had a client who is extremely successful in real estate, extremely successful. Tell me a year ago that he's thinking of getting a job in insurance. And I'm like, what are you doing? You make a million dollars in commissions. He's like, yeah, but the, the, the AI market, is coming. This, the market, the AI, and this. And yeah. I'm like, okay, one, two, three, we're going to breathe through this. And then you're not going to do that. Crazy man. Thankfully, he didn't. Yeah. Um, you know, so our thoughts Become drive. Become self-fulfilling. Right. But then the question is, what drives our thoughts? And that's our emotions, where hmm. no one likes to go. If you don't know and cannot articulate how you're actually feeling, then your brain can't process it, and it just stays here. And the longer negative emotions stay, like especially if we suppress them, which I, I did when I was um, in the cult, because you're not supposed to have any bad emotions, right. um, it becomes actual physical illness. right? So a lot of autoimmune diseases oh. are because of suppressed emotion, a lot of pain, um, like stomach pains in particular, come from a lot of these suppressed emotions. And part of the reason we suppress them is we don't actually give them a name. And I torture my clients. And if any of them are watching, you know where this is going. I have this thing. Well, I don't. It was created by zillions of uh, psychologists, the emotion wheel. And the emotion wheel is like all the different versions and words you can use to describe how you're feeling. So as adults, we stick to three words. I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm mad. But that's not enough for your brain to do anything with it, right? So if you feel like all these conflicting emotions, what can happen is they can actually take over your brain and now you're not thinking properly. It's called an amygdala hijack. Because huh. the amygdala is what drives a lot of our emotions. It's instantaneous. You can't stop it. Right. right? I throw an ax at your head, you duck. Yeah. You don't think, should I duck? 
Yeah. Oh, no, let's analyze the situation. Thunk. Right? So, no. Same thing with your emotions. Exactly. Okay. You know, they flood your body. You know, you get sweaty palms, a racing heart. Your gut goes crazy. Right? You get a little bit shaky. All those kinds of things happen. You can't stop it from happening, but you can stop it from taking over. And being able to say, this is how I feel. So, on the emotion wheel, anger becomes frustrated. Right. Overwhelmed. Numb or withdrawn is also a form of anger because it's shut down. Yeah. Right? It's called hypoactivity. So you can go either hyperactivity, so you go, this is like you get really, really, really mad, or you can go to hypoactivity, which is you go into shutdown mode. Right, so right. both of those are forms of anger. And if you can start to identify it by going through the wheel and saying, like, what kind, what, what exactly am I feeling? Um, and you have both the positive and negative emotions. They're not positive and negative, they're just how you feel. What that does is it connects your emotion brain with your thinking brain. Because we have like emotion brain, thinking brain, logic brain. Dink, dink, dink. And okay. they're evolutionarily at different stages. So our emotion brain is basically older than dirt. It's the thing that basically crawled out of the ocean. Fight or flight? Bingo. Right. Flight, flight, freeze. Um, feed for addicts. So I did a podcast this morning with a recovered addict. And that was what his was, was he had a feed thing. And it was an emotional kind of response. It's um, your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. It's the contrast effect. It's where I compare myself to you. Mm -hmm. I'm at the stoplight. I'm looking at someone else's car, and I'm like, my car's better than your car, right? Yeah, that's contrast effect. Um, our highly emotionally charged memories are there. So when we talk about getting re-triggered, it's coming from the emotion part of our brain. So it's very, very powerful and can take over. So when you hit an overwhelm of emotion, um, particularly four. So there's anger, stress, fear, and anxiety. If those take over, there's actually no brain activity in the thinking and logic. Brain. You're trapped. You're, you're gonzo. You're saying things you don't want to say. Yeah. You're doing things you don't want to do. You're punching somebody out. Yeah. You're screaming something really mean. Yeah. Or you're completely shutting down, and that is also creating conflict, um, and, you're, and you're rolling in it, right? And you can't release it from yourself. So you become in pain. You can't let go of it for three days because that's how long it takes for the cortisol to get out of your body. Three and days. Three days. Oh. When you, especially with aggression. Oh, so boy. if I come at you and I'm like yelling at you or I'm really, really frustrated. Right. Um, or like any kind of conflict like that where there's a lot of uh, aggression, that one in particular drops so much cortisol. So when our, when our partner gives us the cold shoulder, it's yeah. lasting for yeah. three days? Yeah. That's three it? Days. Just okay. give it three days. All right, I'll, I'll keep know, that in mind. There is no point going okay. after the apology ahead of time. Just go silence and All just right. like snacks. No problem. Right? Snacks, so, flowers. Snacks. Here you go. You got it. I'll talk to you in, in 72 no hours. Reason, for no reason, I'm giving you the chocolate. Okay, mm. good to know. All right, three yep, days. Exactly. And then as it starts to calm down, then the thinking and logic brains can actually kick in. So right. that's when you can have much more... Um, uh, rambling of better conversations, right? So you're teaching people to control or just to understand their emotions and, as you yeah. said, emotions, thoughts, beliefs. Yeah. So if your emotions, imagine. So now we have this whole thing. Emotions, thoughts, beliefs, actions, reality. Okay. If you don't like where you are, you don't start by working really hard. You start acting, you start with, how do I feel about where I am right now? Right. How do I feel about myself? being where I am right now? Is there something, am I looking at myself in a really negative way? Um, am I sort of bashing myself? You kind of go to the thoughts. What am I constantly saying to myself? What am I constantly doing? I catch my clients all the time. They don't hear themselves calling themselves names, mm. right? They're like, oh, I, I know you're gonna think this is so dumb. Oh, this is so silly. Oh, this is the stupidest thing. And I'm- The negative mm -hmm. And speak. I'll let them go for yep. a while. Yep. And I'm like, okay, stop. And I'll just say, you know, you have 
literally insulted yourself six times in the last five minutes. Okay. They didn't even hear it. Yeah. They never heard themselves do that. So we can get really used to this self-defamation, um, and that just drives us further down. So if you're down, your reality can't be up. So you have to figure out, um, and I work with people, um, and it doesn't matter, man or woman, and they cry. And they're like, oh, I've always been told I'm too much, right? I don't know, I've been told I'm too much. Um, you know, but sometimes, oh, you're too emotional, you're too this, you're too right, that. Right, right. And my thing is, don't you ever stop being exactly as you are. What you need to do is to always be in control of it so that it never rolls off without you, so that you can, it's not suppressing, it's controlling. It's very, very different. It's seeing it for what it is, to call it by its appropriate name, um, you know, and that begins the processing. So that, because when you start thinking, okay, wait, what kind of angry am I right now? What kind of sad or what kind of happy? And when you start giving it a name, that starts clicking all your brains together. So now your entire brain is actually functioning. So the whole myth, of we tend to only use 10% of our brain, is for the most part true, because most people operate purely on emotion. Right. And that's only 10% of our brain. It's hmm. the smallest part of our brain, but it is the most powerful, it is the oldest, it's instinctive, and we can't stop it, but we can't control it. It really is, because if there's one thing I've learned, especially in, in, in business, is just that typically in a room, in a situation, generally speaking, not 100% not all the time, but the smartest person in the room is usually the calmest person. Yes. <laughs> is usually. Those that are boisterous, those especially in, in commercial real estate and oh, yeah. high intense negotiations, those that are blowing up, those that are aggressive, those that are pounding their fist on the table, those are the people that are typically less in control of their emotions, less thoughtful, less logical. Uh, to speak about the things that you are speaking about resonates with me, but also it really speaks to the fact that people that are sophisticated, high performing, really high level, these are the people that can control their emotions. Mm -hmm. Well, but have you ever watched the show Billions? I haven't, no. Oh my God, it's so awesome. There's one of me in there. There's oh. a high performance coach. Her name is Wendy, I love her. Oh. Okay. And so um, it was really awesome to see, like, and she's a high performance coach, and I'm like, ha ha, it's on television. Yep. Um, so I felt very validated. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. Anyway, but it, it, she worked in a hedge fund, <clears throat> and this hedge fund had a meditation room. And I'm like, oh. Okay, so hedge funds are, in my mind, like psycho-driven. People work all hours of the night, and yet they have this, this actual um, place where you could go and be calm and quiet and get yourself back under control. Right. Because if they're not in control, they can't do that high-powered work. They yeah. can't make yeah. those high-risk decisions because their brain is all fried, right? So I'm thinking, okay, well, if billionaires do that, like what other billionaires do that? Well, right. Ray Dalio, he credits his trillion dollar hedge fund success with meditation and emotional regulation. Wow. It's all over the place. So when you actually start to look for, like you said, you look for, and it's not necessarily the quiet person in the room, it's the person who is in control. They're raising yeah. their voice yeah. because they need to, because this is it's strategic, it's intentional, and it gets the job done. And they lower their voice, whatever, but they're not freaking out or running away or, or anything like that, unless that's part of their strategy. But most often the ones that, you know, if you look at venture capitalists, mm -hmm. a lot of venture capitalists will hone their emotional regulation because they can't put their money based on an emotional reaction right. to a pitch, right? right. So right. anyone right. can right. come with a sob story. I mean, my story is weird and wacky enough as it is, right? Um, could I get money if I like tweak on someone's, you know, heartstrings? Maybe, right? But a really good VC won't do that. 
because they, they do it pure on what they actually see. They challenge themselves. Um, real estate agents, teams, brokerages that hire people, a lot of them hire based on emotion. They'll see someone and they remind them of them. Hmm. And so they hire based on that, not realizing that person is not them. And then they can't quite understand why that person's not acting like them, right? right? But they look like me and they sound like me. And I'm like, yeah, but there's all these red flags. And they may not even be what they need on that team, actually. They may not need another them. No. And that's usually, they should never have another them. Right. (laughs) Like, everyone will explode, right? Yeah. Um, So, again, an emotionally regulated person makes good decisions, is intentional with their time, so does not do busy work. They do productive work. And I talk a lot with people about... Um, oh, you know, I'm working 90-hour weeks. And I'm like, no, you're probably working 20 and just, like, screwing around with the rest of your time. And when they really take stock and look at it, um, they first come back with, well, I don't, I don't know what I did yesterday. And I'm like, mm, think. Yeah. And what the true answer is is they did a bunch of stuff they knew was just wasting time, right? So, again, emotional regulation. Um, so it's not getting in touch with your feelings. It's just naming them. Okay. When my son was young, um, we actually, I went through this with him, but he was too young to read. So I had a big chart of faces, and they were complex. There's probably like 60 of them. And so I had a point, which face do you feel? Because he was about like six, right, five or six years old. Um, and they were complex words like dismayed and frustrated and nervous and all that kind of stuff. So based on what the face was doing, Zach would go, I'm that one, or I'm this one, or I'm that one. And I was able to help him then manage those emotions um, and that work has, he's 17 now, and he, I mean, he still rolls in it because um, he's got a lot going on, but he's so much better at it than a lot of kids his age, and he's able to cope. Right. And what better thing to offer a child as a parent than coping, coping right? Yeah. And so. you're taking that and you're translating that to your clients, to your high-performing business people, mm-hmm. um, emotions. I completely get it. It makes a whole lot of sense to me. Tell me a little bit about how that relates to the dragon and the goat. <laughs> the and, and first of all, where did the concept come from this? I love it. I'm a, I'm a year of the dragon and I'm an Aries. Me so too. right away this year of the dragon resonated yes. <coughs> with me. Uh, for those interested, of course, I'll put the link in it. We can find it. Uh, number One of the number one books on Amazon right now. Uh, I love it. It's great. Um, it, I'm seeing you talk about it everywhere. I've heard a bunch of clips from it. I really want to have you on to talk about it. <laughs> So uh, tell us about the dragon and the goat. Okay, so the dragon and the goat, here, I'll hold it for you. Oh, is it going to stay? There we go. Okay, nobody make a move. Um, So this was predicated, again, on one question. Why don't people do the work they're supposed to do? Why don't people do the work they're supposed to do? Yes, that they know they should be doing. So when someone says, well, I know I should make the calls, send an email, do my CRM, learn KB Core, right? All this kind of stuff. But they don't do it, and they do something else. And in in the work from home thing that COVID brought into the world, the most common thing that anyone ever says they did, because I said, well, what did you do instead? Number one answer, laundry. Oh, not not scrolling TikTok and not Instagram reels and... Laundry. Laundry. All day. Okay. I have one person walk their dog seven times to avoid their work, and I'm like, okay, Fifi's good. (laughs) (laughs) Fifi's probably half dead now. You you got your steps and Fifi's good. (laughs) Yeah, Fifi's good. Leave Fifi alone. Um, Anyway, so when I went through the research... I thought it was just going to be something, you know, very straightforward. What actually came to the surface was that there's two uh, forces that are constantly at war within us. 
One I've called the dragon, which is just lizard part of our brain, but lizard didn't sound scary. Um, so I called it a dragon because that was kind of fun and year of the dragon. Yep. Um, and so what that is, is what we've talked about, the fight, flight, freeze part. It's the emotion brain, okay. right? The one that's instinctive, it's immediate, and it doesn't always work in our favor. It's there to protect us from axes being thrown at our heads, saber-toothed tigers, right. that kind of thing. <clears throat> and so that is always at war from that greatness that we're always trying to live. You know, that's what's called the goat greatest of all time yes you have your own inner goat i have mine yep. everyone in this room has their own yep. um and yet we tamp that down because our dragon says oh you have to fit in mm. right you have to conform realtors don't do that managers <laughs> don't do that girls don't say that boys don't do that right so all these kind of thing these social right. norms that we feel so it's we a, have to conform. a push and pull between yeah. the dragon and the goat and so like as a coach like i run my business by myself because what i've discovered thank you autism is i don't play nicely in the sandbox ergo getting fired um but also like partnerships didn't work for me yeah. having a big team didn't work for me i found it exhausting and yet i felt the only way you can succeed is if you have a team. And so now with what I've learned from this book is like, not the truth. No. Right? I can make as much money as I want to make and I don't have to hire a single person. Yeah. It's just a matter of how do you do that? And that's where my creative brain kicks in. Um, so that you're, everyone's greatest of all time is what you're wired to do. And it's different for each person. Every person's right? different. Right? Some people love massive teams. Yeah. They want to be part of, you know, the so-and-so group, realty group, and they yeah. want to have this, and, and maybe it works for them. Yeah. Whereas other people might be, you know what, I'm a solo show, I want to run my realtor practice right. like this, and I just want to be an amazing, the greatest of all time commercial realtor mm -hmm. on my own. Yep. Some people love the idea of real estate, but are terrified of prospecting. Right. So I'm like, then you go into the operations side, right? Because there's so many realtors that are like, oh my God, if someone would just take care of all of this stuff in the middle, yes. then I could go and sell like I love to sell. Right, which is what I'm doing with my two million dollar juggernaut to get her to four. Yeah. Right. Just get out, fire her from all the paperwork. I said, if you sign a single piece of paper, I will find you. She lives in my neighborhood, so <laughs> makes it easy. Um, you know. So, so our greatest of all time is what when if you can imagine waking up every day and you just like, oh my god, I can't wait to get to work. It's like you can't wait for Monday, instead of you know the most popular hashtag in the world, which is Monday blues. Hmm. Most popular hashtag. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We use Monday motivation on our social media. I know, but it's just not the most popular one. So, <laughs> so keep using it, right? Because, yeah. you know, it, it, it can be sometimes changing, you know, the direction of the Titanic with a toothpick. But, yes. Um, but, but, that's, but this is the world we live in. So, um, well, and, and they talk about that. They talk about literally like 7 p.m., 8 p.m. on a Sunday night, like people's brains. True, yeah. yeah. Because I cannot stand. I don't want to drive to work, to commute. Oh, back to that job. Right. Monday. I get it, and, and I was stuck in that rut for a little while, too, and then as cliche as it is, somebody wants, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life, and it's really true. If you have a passion for your job and you're doing what you love, like, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like work. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that thing I love, yeah. and that's what I, I saw you on another clip, and, and it was that jumping up, waking up in the morning, I can't wait to go to work. Like, very few people, I mm -hmm. think, have the the gratitude or the fortune to be able to say that they do that. Mm -hmm. um, I love that you're trying to do that for people. I do. And what I always try to, to tell people in the book is everyone can get that. It is not beyond our choice right. and our reach. Because um, some people are like, well, you know, I'm in an organization and my boss doesn't let me. Quit. Don't be there. Find something else, right? Be there until you find the other things. Yeah. So, you know, you don't go broke or whatever. But you want to travel the world and, and write for a magazine? Okay, there's a way to do that. You want to 
um, one of my clients, she's like, Rebecca, I want to travel for half of the year and sell $15 million in, in real estate. I'm like, Natalie, game on. Wow. This past year, she went to, and I'm missing a ton of them, Iceland, Scotland, Ireland, Morocco. She has a camper van she takes all around. She calls it Finley. Run, you know, goes around, and she um, participates with a band that she absolutely loves, does her social media, you know, organizes their merch and stuff like that, comes back, sells a couple of houses, flies back out again, or drives back out again. Yeah. Because she wanted to. And for her, that's her... That's her thing. That's the, her MO. The epitome and it's of what just, she wanted. what business structure gives her the freedom to do that? Nice. So we created it, and it's not complicated. Right. And she did it, right? So it's that, but you have to get out of your dragon brain to see that there is a path forward for you to live your great life. Um, and that's what I do. And the book has over two dozen strategies on either how to shrink your dragon. It's not slaying the dragon because we need that part of our brain. And guilt, shame, anger can be very useful, right? Fear keeps you from going too far to the edge of a cliff. Right. Because it's dangerous. You might die. That's good. That's a good fear to have. Good anger is someone something happens and you get angry and you stand up for yourself or you stand up for somebody else. That's good anger. Guilt and shame are really good because they are behavioral correctional devices, right? Mm. You and I get into a big argument and I yell blah, 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 something at you. Um, I go away and I'm like, I meant it, but I could have said that different. Deliberate, right? yeah. So it's a matter of a self-assessment tool. So you can take these, you know, bad, big, bad things and you can turn them into your ally. So your emotions no longer work against you, they work for you and when you get there that's what i'm saying it all comes down to emotional regulation if no emotion is a bad emotion all of them are useful to you oh my god like nothing's gonna stop you because when people say when i ask them what stops you because when they talk to me they're like okay i'm here but i want to be here and i'm like what is the number one thing that's in your way number one answer yep me hmm. i'm in my way and i'm like what version of you is in your way? And then, you know, <laughs> down the path we go. But it's all their emotions have run wild on them because their emotions have driven negative thoughts, which creates a, a toxic belief system. So their actions are wonky and off, you know, off the wall. They're inconsistent. They're avoiding. Um, or they're calling it pretty names. I'm a perfectionist. No, you're scared to watch. You know, I'm being proactive. Uh, no, you're being impulsive. There's a difference, right? Because if the result is not coming out, somewhere along the line, there's, there's some toxicity going on. So it's a matter of figuring out what that is. So that's what drove me to write this book. Um, it was a super education for me. Yeah. Um, I've learned so much writing this thing. I actually wrote it in three days. Oh, wow. <laughs> that <laughs> doesn't I, surprise me. Yep, of course you I did. It took me three months to plan it all out. And then yeah. I went to a cottage in the woods that one of my clients had. And I'm like, I need a quiet place. And she's like, got it. Sat on the, uh, sat on the little uh, deck. And I just wrote the whole the whole thing of. Well, it's it's amazing. I love it. I love what you're doing. Uh, I know you work with a lot of uh, realtors that are with us, some mm -hmm. that aren't, and that, that it, but overwhelmingly everybody is really, really positive about this book. It's yeah. really great. Congratulations. Uh, tell us where we can find it. It's on Amazon. That's Amazon? the number one place to find it. Uh, Amazon, okay. wherever Amazon is sold in English. <laughs> and where can people find you? Uh, my website, which is my name, RebeccaMountain.ca. RebeccaMountain.ca. Yep. Um, all of my programs are there. So I do group coaching. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I also have a very exclusive mastermind. I do twice a year. 
Um, it's really awesome. It's yeah, the most recent one was somewhere Los exotic. Cabos. I was, was very beautiful. jealous. Yeah, really Los Cabos. Beautiful. Wow. Yeah, I create picture books to, to you know keep give to everybody afterwards for the memories. But yeah, it was. It's a, it's a stunning program. It's for my elite clients who are like ready to like just leapfrog. So right. clients who have already gone from like 12, 17 million to 33 million and stayed there year after year after year, they're now like, I want to write a book. I want to get on stage. I want to change things in the States. Um, there aren't a lot of ethic rules. Okay. There's certainly not ethical consequences, right, to people who are, you know, writing terrible contracts, like things that could make brokers go to jail and everyone's like, whatever. You know, one of my clients, her mission is to change that across hmm. the United States. So those are the kind of people who go to my mastermind, and they're really cool. I'll just give this tiny little pitch for masterminds because I'm so proud of it. Yeah, I studied these for like five years because so many people go to masterminds, and they are bitterly disappointed, which sucks because then they won't sign up for mine. Um, but a mastermind is when you get a group of small people, a small group of people, so only eight. That's yep. my max number. Okay. Um, and the way that I run them is everyone has their time and in your time. So let's say you have your time. You come to the group. You go to the front and you say, I'm Damon, this is what I do, but this is where I want to go. These are my struggles. These are my challenges. Everyone asks you questions. Thank you very much. I grab you. We hightail, grab a coffee, grab a tea, sit outside, and the group goes to town. And they figure out all the different ways that you can get there. And no. The, oh, yeah. I mean, the fun part. Oh, yeah. This is the best. The Let's group the, does the work for the individual. The group does the work for the individual Amazing. because it's easier for me to solve your yeah, problem yeah. than it is for you Oh, we you all have that, right? Own. Oh, I can figure their, figure out their relationship, their business, yeah. everything. But I know cool all the problems. Thing, while I'm solving your problem, right. I'm hearing myself and I'm like, you know, I could probably use this for myself. Uh, so it kind of works both ways. But then when they're done the brainstorming, yep. I march you back in, plunk you at the front with a notebook, and you have one rule. Okay. You cannot say no. Huh. So the group is going to present to you all their ideas, and no matter how outlandish it sounds to you, you cannot say no. You just you can ask clarifying questions, and I know when I know when the person doesn't like the answer because they're not writing notes, and I'm like, oh, for Pete's sake! <laughs> so I'm writing notes. Um, so we we put everybody through that, and then on the last day, we uh, we create a 90-day plan. We start at 90 days, so it's a full year program. But I do a 90-day plan. They take all the ideas and they decide what are they gonna implement in the first 90 days. So everybody walks out of there with a zillion ideas, people who have collaborated and now are like personally invested in their business and a plan. And then I coach and train and we meet um, once a month, I bring in speakers, I'm bringing in an author who's written over a million copies and books, um, Larry Kendall from Ninja Selling, he's gonna yeah. be coming to talk to the mastermind. Um, and you know whatever people need, I've got my speaking coach coming in. Whatever people need, right? So that's kind of what the mastermind brings. Um, so whether you come to mine or you know anyone out there is thinking of doing it, that is what like the word mastermind actually means. It's not a conference where you're listening to speakers. Right. It's not a discussion group where you're talking about topics. It's like-minded people. Right. So um, one of my clients opened a grand opening for a brokerage in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Okay. And. I drove six and a half hours. Another one of my clients drove seven and a half hours. Another one of my, and they're all part of the mastermind, um, drove another two and a half hours. And we helped her launch this thing. And it was amazing. That's what you get when you really bring people together and they care like deeply about each other's success. I love it. Um, so I yeah, love so it. It's, a, it's a really cool thing. I'm very proud of it. Um, yeah. it's, you, you can't find them anywhere else like that. Never found another mastermind like that. Great community. Yeah. Uh, doing great work. I love it. We're going to 
put a plug for that as well. That'd be great. It's great yes. stuff. Uh, thank you very thank much. You. A long time waiting to make this happen, <laughs> so thank you. Yeah. Uh, for everybody else, thank you for watching again. As always, especially for this one, please share, subscribe, uh, pass it on, and we will see you for the next episode. Thank you. Thank you.